After that terrible, horrible toothache that I had that took me out of action for 24 hours, I could have had a beautiful Italian steak, Italian beef, chew on my mouth because I had terrible, horrible toothache. But after going to that great place, the wonderful sponsor that we have, yep, the Park Dental Care, I feel relaxed. I feel good. They yanked the teeth that was supposed to be yanked. Now I can bite, I can eat my Chicago beef, I can have a good time, I can drink a cold beer, and they're going to repair the teeth and they look brand new, like they did all my other teeth. Look at the smile. Beautiful. Beautiful, look at that smile. And thank you for the recommendation. And um, No problem. You know, these guys are located at 124-19 101st Avenue. And it's South Richmond Hill, Queens, baby. Number 718-847-3800. And the website is 718-Dentist. And remember, .com. And go to these guys. They take every single insurance that they can take, and they will fix you up real quick. Now you know I've been going to them for 25 years. And remember, tell them that Rock and Mike and Rob send you. So they know that we're sending them some business. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Mike. So what are we talking about today? Okay, we're talking about Rocky Erickson. Oh, and this is episode 162 of The Rock Show. 162. Man, we're just pumping them out. Yes, um, this is this episode's about Rocky Erickson. Um, <clears throat> kind of a, a cultish figure in rock and roll. Uh, not maybe super well-known. But he was a very important guy when it came to, like, garage rock uh, in the 60s. And um, also, it's a very tragic story um, about his early life and, and the mental health problems he had and, and the fact that he was sent away for one joint, you know, by Texas. who was very – Texas had draconian drug laws back then. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's a sad story what happened to him. I'll go into it a little bit. And, uh, but he got his, he got what was coming to him later on in life. A lot, I had a lot of, a lot of followers, a lot of fans. Uh, there was a lot of benefits for Rocky. Um, there's tribute albums for Rocky Erickson with major artists on it. Um, the 13th floor elevators, the band he started in the sixties around 1965. 
And they did psychedelic rock? They 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 you they, they were the first band to use the word psychedelic in their album. Okay. So historically it's important like that because in the late sixties that word psychedelic was all over the place. Yeah. You know, in the mainstream. But um all right, so he was born Rock uh Erickson is his last name. Uh his first name is Roger and his middle name is Kennard. And they basically his parents nicknamed him Rocky, R-O-K-Y, kind of like an abbreviation between the two first names. He was born July 15th, 1947 in Dallas. Um, Rocky was the oldest kid, and he had four younger brothers. His father was a, a strict disciplinarian, uh, didn't have any time for boys with long hair. And supposedly him and Rocky used to battle, battle it out a lot. One time he forced a haircut on him. Uh, made him cut his hair. Um, his mother, on the other hand, uh, was kind of like uh, a little bit more artistic. She was uh, a, an amateur artist and an opera singer. She also kind of encouraged Rocky's musical in in interests that he had at a young age. Um, once he, he, he wanted to play guitar, and I think that his father didn't allow it and want to allow it, so his mother actually took the lessons so she could teach him. So, you know, kind of interesting dynamic in that family. Um, Rocky's musical interests started when he was five. He learned how to play the piano. Uh, and by 10, he was playing guitar. He attended high school in Austin, Texas. Um, but he dropped out of uh, what was called Travis High School uh, in 1965, one month before he was supposed to graduate because he wouldn't cut his hair. Damn. He was a big Beatles fan. He wanted his hair long, and the school had strict a strict dress code and wasn't allowing it, so he just dropped out. Um, Erickson wrote his most famous song, You're Gonna Miss Me, at around age 15, and started the band with some neighborhood guys, which would kind of evolve into his first real band, which was the Spades. The Spades. Okay. The Spades scored a regional hit with the song We Sell Soul, which would later be done as Don't Fall Down when, once he got the 13 Four Elevators together. Uh, that would be on their debut album. The Spades' original version of You're Gonna Miss Me was featured on the Garage Rock compilation Pebbles Volume 1. Now, yeah, uh, I'm a big fan of the Pebbles collections. Uh, there's also a collection called Nuggets, which is really good. But with Pebbles, they got even more obscure. Uh, I don't know where they found some of these these people, man. They had one single, and they, they put it on the compilation. The Pebbles stuff came out, I believe, in the early 80s, and I think there's something like 30-something of them now, 40-something of them now. Very good stuff. Um, in late 65, at age 18, uh, Erickson co-founded the 13th Floor Elevators. Now, he and bandmate Tommy Hall were the main songwriters. Early in, in uh, her career, Janis Joplin was considering joining the 13th Floor Elevators. Wow. Remember, Janis was from Texas. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but... She was persuaded to go off to San Francisco, which obviously turned out to be the best thing she could have done because she got world famous. 
pretty much right away. But she uh, went down there, didn't she? Like hang out with the family cat, something like that. Family dog. dog. Family dog was the name. Yeah, yeah. and they they convinced her to go up to San Francisco. That's where everything was happening. This was the summer of love, you know, that time, and uh, a little bit before that, and uh, she would hook up with the. Uh, the holding company, big brother and the holding company and all that. We should do a show on Janice Joplin. What do you think? I think it'll be fine. We should. Yeah, I think, I think we'll do that coming up soon. Um part of the twenty what, the twenty sixth club? Twenty seven club. Oh twenty seven club. Twenty seven club, yeah. yeah. Yeah, she 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 checked out at twenty seven. Let me answer a question. What well they call they also call it um they call it acid rock. Can you explain to people what the hell acid rock is? It's rock that you <laughs> drop acid? Yeah, yeah. Acid rock was an expression. <laughs> it was an expression in the late 60s, early 70s for psychedelic music. Um, things like Iron Butterfly and Agata DeVita. That would be acid rock. Okay. Just stuff, stuff that you want to trip to. You know, right. and it was it was a big thing back then. Still is. People still do that shit. Yeah. <laughs> now the band um, 13th Floor Elevators released the psychedelic sounds of the 13th Floor Elevators in October of 1966. It contained the band's only charting single, Erickson's You're Gonna Miss Me. Okay, even though we did that with the Spades, the Spades would kind of morph into the 13th Floor Elevators, do it, and they would record it again. Uh, it ended up a major hit on local charts in Texas. Um, and most of the Southwest, and it appeared at uh, lo lower positions on the chart nationally. Um, it's considered a breakthrough in garage rock, uh, ba basically because the way Rocky sings it, it's like screaming and the way he wails yeah. through it and, and his harmonica work on it, okay? Um, the album was produced by Lilan Rogers, and the title with the word psychedelic in it, like I said in the beginning, it's the first time it's regarded, as, as far as we know, it's regarded as the first time that word was ever used on a record. Now, that album came out in October, and I believe the following month you had uh, Psychedelic Lollipop by the, by the Blues Magoos, and there, there's a couple other bands, but, but they, beat it, they beat it by a month. Um, in 1967... The band would follow up uh, the first album with an album called Easter Everywhere. Now, it's a slightly more focused album. They, they were a little bit more focused on a sound and topics to sing about. Um, it featured a track called Slip Inside This House, and it was an eight-minute song that they reduced down to a, a single for about four minutes. Um, the B-side of this was a song called Splash One, which is an amazing song. Um, and it was covered recently on uh, Greg Prevost's album, uh, his most recent uh, collection. Greg Greg was the, uh, the singer to the Chesterfield Kings. He does a great cover of Splash One. Um, the album was again produced by Lilan Rogers, and uh, another notable track on there was their cover of Bob Dylan's It's All Over Now, Baby Blue. Yep. All right, on that, which is another great song. The third album, and, and keep in mind, they kind of had like a, a bit of a cult following yeah. in the country, especially in the Southwest. Yeah. Um, 
very different kind of band. Uh, it, definitely that first album should be in everybody's collection, as far as I'm concerned, because it's just such a strong rock record. Uh, the third album was called Live, okay, and it was released in 1968. Now, it was advertised as a live recording, um, but it's bullshit. It was they, they, they dubbed in crowd noises and clapping and cheering. It was totally faked. But it really, the band's label, which was called International Artists, yeah. were really just trying to make money off this. They, the band really didn't have any input. It just showed up one day that they had a live yeah. album. And uh, there was very little band cooperation with it. Most of the tracks are actually cover songs on this album and some older material that they hadn't used before. And it's really considered a, a subpar record. It's really not worth your time. Okay. I've listened to it. It's weird because when you when you realize everything is fake, it's kind of funny, you know, listening to it. But it's just that's not a good album. But funny. yeah, yeah. Now it wouldn't be the first time that would happen either by different bands. Um, Bull of the Woods would be the next one, released in 1969, was the final 13th Floor Elevators album that they worked on as a group. Erickson, however, was only involved on a few tracks, including Living On and May the Circle Remain, Remain Unbroken, excuse me. Uh, the album was the one following what was the beginning of Rocky's health problems and legal problems. Uh, guitarist Stacy Sutherland was the driving force on this record. Uh, he, he was the one that was putting it out, really pushing for it. Uh, and Rocky really was not well enough to to participate. Now, wow. what happened to him in 1968, uh, while performing at the Hemisphere Hemisphere in Texas, Erickson began speaking in gibberish. He just started making no sense when he was talking. Damn. And he was soon diagnosed as a paranoid schizophrenic. And he was sent to the Houston Psychiatric Hospital, where he involuntary, involuntarily received electroshock therapy. Eee. Okay. The elevators were, were very local. They were very vocal about um, drug use. They, they advocated marijuana use as a band and LSD use. And sometimes it would catch the attention of law enforcement. they give them a hard time. Uh, in 69, Erickson was arrested for possession of a single joint in Austin, Texas. That's crazy. One joint, okay? Now, facing a potential 10-year jail sentence, he pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity, okay? And that was to avoid going to jail. But he was sent to the Austin State Mental Hospital, okay? And after several times he escaped from there, he was then sent to the Rusk State Mental Hospital in Rusk, Texas. It was a more maximum security kind of place that he couldn't break out of. Uh, and again, he was forced to get electroshock therapy. Now, you know, we've we've talked about this. Uh, I know Lou Reed had it. Okay, we mentioned yeah. that a couple in a couple episodes. Electroshock therapy fucks with your memory big time. And you can't it's remember. So bad. Yeah, especially okay. short-term memory or really all your memory. Uh, he was also given Thorazine treatments 
during his custody there until 1972. Now, during his time at, at Rusk, Rocky continued to write poetry and music, and family and friends did manage to smuggle out some of the poetry that he wrote. And it, it became a self-published book in 1972 called Openers by Rocky Erickson. And they intended on using the profits to this to help him with his legal and medical bills. Okay. Uh, supposedly a thousand copies of this book was made, uh, but it's really unknown how many was sold. Very rare if you can get your hands on it. Very rare piece of, piece of literature. Um, six tracks from the 1999 Rocky Erickson collection called Never Say Goodbye were also recorded during his time at Rusk. Okay. Um, in 74, which is interesting because I'm, it said that he recorded them during his time there. I wonder how he was able to do that. Right. He probably had like a tape recorder and stuff like that. Yes. Yeah. So in 74, after he was released from the hospital, Rocky formed a new band, which he called Bleeb Alien. Bleeb Alien. Okay, and Bleeb, there's a couple ways they look at it. Bleeb's an anagram for Bible. Okay, if you twist the words around, you can get Bleeb. But it's also a German word, okay, which means remain. And then alien, which... You know, if you if you take the word alien, add an L, A-L-L-I-E-N, in German it means alone. So the band uh, Bleeb Alien meant leave a, uh, remain alone. Alone. Okay, yeah. Now his new band traded the psychedelic sound of the 13th floor elevators for a more hard rock kind of sound. Uh, and it had um, tracks like... Uh, Two-headed dog, okay. Uh, there's there was a lot of like horror themes, horror movies, sci-fi themes. I walked with a zombie. That's a another one, okay. Now um, there was a band called the Sir Douglas Quintet, and Doug Sam from that band um, produced the record for Rocky, okay. Yeah. And uh, the band would be renamed shortly after Rocky Erickson and the Aliens, okay. And believe Alien wasn't cutting it, okay? Now, Two-Headed Dog, I got to mention, because uh, there was a, a guy named Vladimir Demikaus, who was yeah, a, yeah. A, a Russian scientist. And he did, in the 1950s, these, like, transplants of dog heads. Okay? Like, put, How like, crazy put, is put, that? Putting two heads on a dog, okay? And he did this in Russia, Okay at the time, the Soviet Union. And so there's a lyric in there, in that song, Two-Headed Dog, where he's like, you know, I'm, 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 I'm doing experiments in the Kremlin on a two-headed dog, like that. <laughs> That's yeah. a great song. That's yeah. a great song. Yeah, it is. So, um, the, like I said, the new band will be called Rocky Erickson and the Aliens. And in 1979, after playing with the reversible chords at Raul's, which was a club in Austin, uh, Stu Cook who was the former bass player to Creedence Clearwater Revival, um, connected with Rocky. And they released two records back-to-back. -back. Um, the first was called Rocky Erickson and the Aliens. 
And that was on Columbia, released in the UK in 1980. And then there's one called Rocky Erickson and the Aliens, The Evil One. And yep. that was recorded for 415 Records in 1981. So he had, like, I guess, like an English label and an American label. Instead of having just one label, he had two. Now, Cook, Stu Cook, um, played bass on two tracks. Uh, one track called Sputnik and one track called Bloody Hammer. And Rocky performed with the Nerve Breakers as his backup band at the Palladium in Dallas in July of 1979. Um, a live recording of this was issued on the French New Rose label and recently has been re-released. You can get it again. So um, the band that, that Rocky played with the most was a band called The Explosives. And they kind of served as mo his most frequent backup band. Um, this was during the club era when he was playing Raul's and a few other clubs in the late 70s and early 80s. Um, it's interesting. Uh, Austin, to this day, has a vibrant music scene. And that was really when it was starting back. They always did, uh, even going back to the the 13th floor elevated days in the 60s. But as time went on, it's, it. I mean, you know, you have the South by Southwest festival and all that stuff there. It's become like a Mecca for uh, underground music. Now, and I've never been there. I should go there. You should go there. Yeah. Do, do a podcast from there one, maybe South by Southwest. So um, <clears throat> the band was called Rocky Erickson and the Explosives. And they were regulars at Raul's, the Continental Club, other Austin venues. Um, it was this, excuse me, it was this lineup that contributed to the first Live at Raul's LP. It was like a compilation oh, okay. band that played there. And they contributed two tracks to that record. That album came out in uh, 1980, I believe. In 1982, Rocky asserted to people, he started telling people that a Martian was inside his body, okay? That he was he was inhabited by a Martian. <laughs> he, he came to feel basically that due to being an alien, that people were attacking, were trying to attack him physically. So a current a concerned friend of his tried to convince him that he was okay. So what the what he did was he enlisted a notary public to witness an official statement, sign off on it, stamp it, that Erickson was in fact an alien okay it was a statement made by rocky um and he would they were hoping that if if there was any kind of like international laws that might be broken or anything you could trick rocky into thinking that with this statement it, it was all going to be okay by putting this official statement out yeah. and it actually worked it actually worked because once he put the statement out he didn't think anybody was attacking him anymore Wow. Yeah. So it's funny how the mind can play tricks, right? He was a strange fucking guy. Well, if you had electroshock therapy <laughs> and you were already an acid head on top of that, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's not good, man. Acid scrambles you anyway. So he was probably scrambled, but maybe not yeah. so bad. And I'm sure whatever they did, it just made it a lot worse. <clears throat> now, beginning in 1980, Erickson developed an obsession with the male. He would spend hours going over junk mail. Okay? 
don't know if he was looking for messages or sig signals or something, okay, in the junk mail. He also wrote to celebrities, sometimes dead ones, uh, and other solicitors, and he would get things back, and he was obsessed with receiving the mail. He got arrested late in 1989 uh, for, for charges of mail theft for people that neighbors that he knew had moved, and if they had mail still coming, he would take it. Okay, and what he would do is he would put these this mail all over his the walls of his bedroom. Okay, now he got arrested, but they dropped the charges because he was able to show that he never actually opened these letters. Oh, okay. Yeah, so they they you know I'm sure they could have got him just for stealing it, but they they dropped the charges altogether. <clears throat> now in 1984, a documentary was produced in Austin for Swedish TV. Okay, it was going to be called uh, Demon Angel, A Day and Night with Rocky Erickson. And it featured Erickson in electric and acoustic performances, uh, sometimes solo and sometimes with uh, local musician slash producer Mike Alvarez uh, playing an additional guitar. Um, they filmed it in an underground creek near the Congress Street Bridge on Halloween in Austin. Alvarez later released the film on VHS and added some interviews with Rocky's family and, and friends at the end. Wow. That was like the real first tribute to him, you know, in yeah. a good way. Um, again, he was, he was a strong cult character, you know, not every, he wasn't in the selling a lot of records, but it, he played a lot of shows. Um, the movie was the movie that was made was toured to several cities, including Pittsburgh, where the screening was followed by a set of Erickson's songs by Alvarez himself and others. Uh, Rocky was not there, okay, but uh, there was a performance by a band called the Mount McKinley's with vocalist Sumner Erickson, who was wow. Rocky's uh, Rocky's brother, Sumner. Yeah. Okay, uh, soundtrack for this record, I mean, the soundtrack for this film, excuse me was released on CD, and it got very positive reviews. He always got, uh, Rocky always got good critical acclaim. <clears throat> now, several live albums of his older material have been released since the mid-80s. Um, in 1990, Sire Records released a tribute album called Where the Pyramid Meets the Eye, and it was a tribute to Rocky Erickson produced by Warner Brothers executive Bill Bentley, and it featured versions of Erickson's songs performed by uh, the Jesus and Mary Chain, R.E.M., ZZ Top, Bongwater, John Wesley Harding, Doug Sam, and Primal Scream, among others. Um, according to the liner notes, that's an all-star cast. Yeah. That was an all-star cast. Yeah, definitely. He was, you know, his music was very well appreciated among musicians as well. Okay. According to the liner notes, the title of the album came from a remark that Rocky made to a friend one time who had asked him to define what psychedelic music is or was. Okay. Yeah. So Rocky had replied, it's where the pyramid meets the eye, man. An apparent, <laughs> well, it's an apparent reference to the eye of Providence yeah. and the great seal of the United States, you know, the pyramid on a, on a dollar. Yeah, that's you awesome. know? Right. So in 1995, 
<clears throat> Erickson released All That May Do My Rhyme. And, <clears throat> and it was on uh, Butthole Surfer Drummer King Coffee's label called Trance Syndicate Records. Uh, it was produced by Texas Tornadoes bassist Speedy Sparks. Um, also, Austin recording legend Stu- Stuart Sullivan and Texas, Texas music office director Casey Monahan was involved in the production. Uh, the release coincided with the publication of another book uh, called Openers 2. Okay, another book of the complete collection of his lyrics, all of Rocky's lyrics, and I believe some poetry was in there as well. Uh, it was published by Henry Rollins' 21361 publications, and it was compiled by and edited by Casey Monahan with the assistance of Henry Rollins and Rocky's youngest brother, Sumner. Now, Sumner was granted legal custody of Rocky in 2001 and established a legal trust to help out his brother. So as a result, Rocky started having a lot of legal entanglements untangled. Okay, He was also getting the best medical care that he had gotten in his life. Wow. Okay, right. And uh, things were starting to look out, look up for him because he was getting some royalties that he was owed from the past. He had a lot of a lot of contractual issues that were worked out. All he really needed was the right kind of lawyers, which he was able finally to get yep. with with some money that was coming in. Um, and he even was able to get off of some of his meds. OK, wow. um, a documentary about Rocky's life was made in 2005 by director Kevin McAllister and screened at the South by Southwest festival that year. And it got good reviews Um, at the Austin city limits music festival. Rocky performed his first full length concert in 20 years and using the explosives band again as backup. uh, He put on an amazing show, which included special guests, uh, special guest performance by Billy Gimmins from ZZ top. Now, by December 30th, 2005, Rocky had played 11 gigs in that year and had weaned himself off most of his meds. Uh, He also got a driver's license and bought a Volvo, bought a car, and and he voted for the first time, too. Jesus Christ, he's growing up. He's growing up. (laughs) Now, in 2007, Erickson played his first ever gig in New York City. Uh, I was at this show. Uh, it was uh, he played Southpaw in Brooklyn. Wow! Okay. Very good show. I remember being there. And uh, he also did the Coachella Festival in California that year, and made a debut performance in England for the first time at the Royal Festival Hall in London. Uh, Rocky also did a couple other gigs in some European countries at the same time. Uh, in September two thousand and eight. He collaborated with the Scottish band Mogwai for their uh, Bat Cat EP. And he plays on a track called Devil Rides. He also played with the Austin indie rock band O'Curville River. Um, In 2009, he played the South by Southwest Festival again. And he also collaborated with the Austin band The Black Angels, rehearsing and performing 13 elevator songs uh 13th elevator songs that hadn't been done in many many years uh they were trying to 
get some of those older tracks out there to the fans. Wow. Um, on April 20th, 2010, um, Erickson released True Love Cast Out All Evil, his first album of new material in 14 years. O'Curville serves as Erickson's backing band on this record. Um, in March of 2012, Erickson toured Australia and New Zealand for the first time, and he headlined the Golden Plains Festival and sold out shows in Sydney and Melbourne. So he was doing well down under. Yes, yeah, so this guy was pretty popular. He might not have, but he was, he, he was, he worked, he worked all his life there. Yeah, well, he did. And uh, he, he had a live presence, okay, on the scene, especially in Texas. Yeah. But as time went on, by the by the 90s and 2000s he was recognized internationally as well and you know he was starting to be well known uh more well known than he had ever been now um on may 30th excuse me may 10th 2015 he performed with the reunited 13th floor elevators at a festival called levitation which was a name of a song that they used for the name of the for the name of the uh, the festival, and he you know he headlined that that festival. Wow. The band consisted of original band members Rocky Erickson, Tommy Hall, um, also John Ike Walton and Ronnie Leatherman. Um, Rocky's son Jaeger Erickson was on harmonica, and Rocky's lead guitarist Eli Southard. And rhythm guitarist Fred Mitchum was all part of that. So they had a pretty big crew. Yeah, yeah. And and Rocky would, you know, for the next, like, few years, Rocky would do shows here and there. He'd pop up uh, here and there. Uh, but sadly, on May 31st, 2019, it was announced that he passed away in Austin. Yeah. Now, his death was made public through a Facebook page. I remember reading this. Uh, his brother, Mikkel, who wrote, My brother Rocky passed away peaceably today. Please allow us time. And then to this date, no cause of death has ever been given. Wow. Yeah. So that was the, the end of his life. He was, uh, I think he was about, seven, not even 70. 71. 71. Yeah, 71. So, you know, tough life for the guy, you know. But he started to get some recognition in the last few years of his life, and he deserved it. And uh, anything that you see out there by Rocky Erickson and the aliens or the explosives, um, pick it up. And the 13th Floor Elevators, definitely get the first album. Well, get, get, all, get all of them. They're all good, uh, except that fake live one. <laughs> but, but, uh, but, you know, the other three albums are excellent. Easter Everywhere is a good record. Has that track Splash One. Um, nice. Different kind of experience listening to it. I think, it, I think it, it, it stands the test of time. Sometimes when you listen to stuff from that era, it sounds very dated. But it's, this does not. 13-4 Elevator's first record is, is as good today as it ever was. And just as a side note, You're Gonna Miss Me is Poison Ivy from the Cramps' favorite song of all time. Wow. Okay. So from a band that, that had, you know, garage rock roots, rockabilly roots, garage rock roots, you know, she knew what she was talking about when she said that. You're Going to Miss Me is a great track. All right. That's yeah. good. 
That's all I got today for you, Rob. All. all right. So, Mike, how can we uh, locate you if we need to find you? Okay. I'm all over social media. Uh, you could find me on Instagram, RockerMike212. I'm on Twitter as RockerMike212. I'm on CloudHub, MeWe, Getter, Truth Social, all as RockerMike. And I'm also on Facebook as Rocco Mike. And I've told you many times why that is Rocco Mike. Yes. Um, and uh, of course, always go to the Rock Show podcast group page. I'm always posting songs of the day, songs of the night, little tidbits yep. during the day. Feel free to join, participate, add stuff to the page. How about you, Rob? Where can we find you? You can find me at any um, outlet that's. Getting lumped up. You look getting lumped up. I'm the first thing that pop up, and you'll see my big head. And there you can find me in all social media Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, uh, Rumble, YouTube, and everything else, whatever other stuff that they have. And, right. um, Mike, I got to tell you, another exciting show. This is episode 162. I'm excited about the next two shows coming up. We're going to be talking about. The, uh, the Australian bands, the Saints, yeah. who sadly lost their singer, uh, Chris Bailey, uh, recently. And um, a band called Radio Birdman, which everybody should check out. Yeah, that's Radio, Birdman's, Radio Birdman's a great band. And I'd like to thank our sponsor again, uh, Park, um, Park, uh, Park, Park Dental. Dental. Okay. For the fabulous work, the great dentist, and anytime you go there, you will live with smile. And he takes all insurance. And he takes all insurance. So <laughs> thank you to them. And um, remember, people, don't get drunk. Get lumped up. See you next time. Take care, people. Let's get lumped up on the rock show.